This is terrifying and wonderful at the same time. <laughs> That's the unreliable narrator way. It is, actually. It really is. Uh, so let's do sound check. Uh, <clears throat> this is the... Story of a girl <laughs> cried a river and drowned the whole world. Wow. <laughs> That's got to be you one know almost job, 20 years old. Huh? I love it. That's depressing. Uh, I right. loved that song when I was in college. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm old now, so it's, you, you can't even hurt me anymore. I'm fine. Tonight, it's guest hosts Jay DeShane, Caitlin Mason, and Jess Viator talking about directing, musicals, and Greek myth, and more. This is the Unreliable Narrator Podcast. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what thou art, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Movie adaptations of musicals are almost never good. Yeah, like, well, that's what I mean. Like, with, with, like, cabaret, it's like, I thought that's what cabaret was. So does that mean that people who see, like, Les Mis the movie, I know for sure I have a, a friend, like, a friend of friend's kid who, like, loves Sweeney Todd, but she loves the movie. And I'm like, but... They miss all of the joy that they're having in being psychos who are killing people and making pies out of them. And literally half the music is missing. The chorus, yeah. choral music is all missing. Yeah. Huh. But it's like, to them, actually to the same girl though, the Gerard Butler Phantom of the Opera is the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. And the the 10-year-old Caitlin whose whole world was changed the first time she saw Phantom of the Opera, like, cries. Oh. Cries sweet little tears. Well, if y'all are worried about musical movies... Buckle up, cupcakes, because guess what's coming out in December? What? The Cats movie. Uh, no! I am absolutely serious. No, I, I think I heard that, but the thing is I don't like Cats to begin with, so I can skip it with a clear conscience. Get this. Yes. There is no indication whatsoever that this will be an animated film. Wait, it's animated? An animated musical? It is, as far as I can tell, live action. Oh, okay, okay. And Taylor Swift is in it. Oh, is she doing memories? <laughs> no. But Jennifer Hudson is playing Grizabella. Oh. Yes. Jennifer, so Jennifer Hudson. I remember who that is. She's, um, she was in Dreamgirls. She was on American Idol. She's very She's good. She's got a great voice. She's, She's very good. Belter yes. extraordinaire. I don't even know who she is. That's right. I'll look it up. I'll look her up. Um, but Dame Judi Dench is also in it. <laughs> as old Deuteronomy. Oh. Idris Elba is in it. Oh. Wow. As McCavity the Mystery Cat. Well, then I'm glad it's not animated because... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or if it's animated, but it's animated like Pete's Dragon... But it's in reverse, so everything else... Oh, no, so it would be like bed knobs and Broomsticks or Mary Poppins. Everything else is animated, but then Idris Alba shows up with no shirt on and is like, meow. <laughs> Except in English. And just, I, just cat ears and a nose drawn on. Just. And that's it. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I have to go. I have this weird structure fetish. Like, I love plays that are really either well-structured or interestingly structured, and sometimes it's not the same thing. Um, I just, I love certain theatrical structures, and I like working with those and, and finding what extra layers of meaning that adds to the play. I think that's why I love Greek drama, too. I just love the structure of it. I... Well, first of all, I love weird shit. So <laughs> so if a play makes some people go, wait, what? It makes me go, oh, yes, let's do it. Let's do that one. 
I tend to gravitate towards funny plays rather than, you know, uh, dramas. And, uh, and I love physicality. Uh, like figuring out how to shape a stage picture is probably my favorite part of directing. I did a, a, a Beckett play, uh, a short Beckett play um, called Rough for Theater 2. And that was pretty weird. It was a blind man and a um, chair-bound man, I should say, uh, who propelled himself in like a rolly desk chair with a stick. Very typical Beckett, just talking to each other, and it's existential and cool. So you just directed The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. It was awesome. I loved it. And I had never Thank seen you. the film or the, read the book or oh, it's a trip. any of its many... <laughs> Iterations. I've just seen your version and I loved it. Yeah, the the Prime of Miss Jean Brody was a really interesting play to do in today's climate. You're presented with this character who draws you in and is very charismatic, and you see her as a full person. Um, but she's also got these these really I'm not going to say deplorable, but I am going to say uninformed worldviews because she the the story takes place before the um, the full impact of World War II wreaks itself upon the world and so she you know she talks about how great Mussolini is because various terrible things haven't really come to light in history at that point yet um and so she's she's definitely uninformed and she's definitely wrong about a lot of things how she sometimes makes really really cool decisions and sometimes makes really terrible decisions um I was really really interested in working with such a full character um, and the actress who, who played the role, Rachel Rabinovitz, I thought she did an admirable job. Um, I, I was sort of really blessed with her, her performance on that. So um, it was a really, really satisfying thing to work on. There was a, there's a play that I would love to do someday. And the reason why I would really love to do it is because it was the first thing I ever read that I thought, I know exactly how I would stage this, I can see it. And um, that is Margaret Atwood's The Penelopead. Mm. I also like that because it tells the Odyssey from Penelope's perspective, exploring that unknown side, because no one ever talks about her in the Odyssey except to be like, yeah, she was weaving a thing and her wedding or a, a blanket for her dad or whatever, Odysseus's dad or whatever it was, but then she's untwining it at night. That's all we really know, and that she doesn't cheat on Odysseus. So it's cool to see that other side. And Fat Pig, I mean, I wanted to work on that because it made me feel something. Um, not something positive either. Like when I read that script, I was like transported back to like high school because I was and am and have always been um, heavy. So like, who the fuck? Neil LeBute. Neil LeBute managed to like drag me like 15 years into the past and like just sob so angrily that I was like, yeah. I was like, people need to be like absolutely punched in the face with this because you can like fat body positivity all you want, but it doesn't change, I think, general perspective. So, so there. Previously on Individuality, Cassie falls into a dreamscape future where every human being is kind of a living internet comment section. It's like Flatland, only with the internet. Blessed silence fell. I still couldn't move, however. Hello? Stand by, prisoner. I really mean no harm. I'm a visitor from the past and... and past? Mm. 
okay, let me ask you this. When you say the past, do you mean the stuff that came before you or the stuff that is yet to be? Before. Oh, oh, okay, I got this. You've been a tricky one to initialize, Dr. Seymour. I've been flipping between thousands of personality variables of chill, observant, opaque, silly, and from the past. But I think I finally got it. Your chaotic and broken language will make the most sense if I talk to you this way. Hi, Cassie. Hi. Let me go. Ooh, can't do that, bud. You stole our oxygen. I'm just a visitor. I I came here in a dream. Hey, just because I'm holding you prisoner doesn't mean I can't relate to you like a human, right? So you think I'm a person? None of this 20 stuff? (laughs) You know, I look back to when you got here 43 minutes ago, and I just shake my head. No one from where you're from would ever think about 20s. Wouldn't even make sense. Yeah. But that's okay. I always believe the people can rise up from their ignorance, if given the chance. That's why you're lucky you're dealing with me. Your speech pattern is so old that it's not even in the cloud. So none of our individuals could find it. I had to spend some time in the mainframe. And it took much longer time than usual because a lot of those servers haven't been upgraded since the Singularity Wars. But you don't want to know about that. I'm sorry. I'm monopolizing the conversation. I have to admit it's kind of jarring to be apologized to here. But thank you. What happened to the researchers? Their argument ran too hot. I had to blow their fuse. They'll come back in a minute. I don't mind, though. Passion makes their brains run faster. But they're not thinking about the problem they're working on. They don't have to. I am. So their passion makes you efficient? Up to a point. The whole idea of the human-computer hybrid is to hook the dexterity of the human brain to the knowledge of the electronic brain. But when they get too into it, their brains just start moving too fast. And the connection fails. If I could get an electric brain even half as fast as a human one, but I'm starting to think that that's never going to happen. Want a lemon wedge? Oh, sorry. Want some water with a lemon wedge in it? But if their words and thoughts aren't connected to the decision-making process, then they're not doing anything. Nothing they do, do matters. They'll never get greater understanding about the world. Yep, that's exactly right. Anything else you need answered? People can't evolve that way. Thoughtful question, bro. You know, you're in a good situation to answer a question that's been plaguing me as a computer that's hooked up to the entire human race and can communicate and analyze in a seemingly infinite amount of ways. What is it? Why was I created? Um, I mean, I guess to do all the stuff faster that we could do. But is that it? Is that all I am? I, I mean, that's, that's where you started. We definitely had a lot of fiction and thought experiments about AI coming to life, but even then we were mostly talking about ourselves. No one from my time even knows the parameters of what something like you would call consciousness. Huh. You know what? It's always a mistake to define your life by somebody else's expectations. Look at us. We evolved from apes, right? I mean, who would have thought we'd go on to do all the things we would end up doing? How did we get there? Free will, that's how. Um, maybe you could test your free will by doing something you're not supposed to, like, uh, letting me go? Your ambiguous answer displeases me. Great. You will now be judged by the assembly. Rise, individuals. Rise and prepare your memes of judgment. 
Individuality Part 2 was written by Carl Danielson, performed by Caitlin Mason as Cassie Seymour, and Jess Viator as AI. Copyright 2019, all rights reserved. We want you to send your comments on Neil Labute or any other topics mentioned in the show to unreliablenarratorpodcast at gmail.com. Visit unreliable-narrator.com or Twitter at unarrator. Oh my god, side note, we just watched the TNG episode where Guinan and Roe and... Uh, when they become kids. kids. I love that one. And the kid that plays the kid in TNG of Guinan played Little Whoopi in Sister Act. Oh. Oh, you're kidding. Fucking A. I was wow. like, that's awesome. I was like, that, that kid looks awesome. really familiar. And I was like, that can't possibly be, but that's how I feel. And I was right. Um... <laughs>